Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, episode three already. Wow. Three weeks old. I had to thank Howard Finkel over the weekend. I got to see him. And I thanked him for the wonderful job he did voicing the intro and everything else. All the elements it takes to make this here wrestling podcast. I'm Sam Roberts. This is my wrestling podcast. This week, and of course, well, you know you know the format of the podcast. We get right to the interview, and then you stay tuned because after the interview, I let you know what I'm thinking about the state of professional wrestling in a segment called The State of Wrestling. First... I wanted to talk about the man that I have on as my guest this week. We've had great guest Evan Wexel a couple weeks ago. Chris Jericho, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller this week. Brian Shields, he is the author of the new book. It's called 30 Years of WrestleMania, and it's one of these great encyclopedia-type books that chronicles all 30 WrestleManias. This is the type of guy I love to talk to because he's an informed wrestling fan. I mean, this is a guy with a dream job. Okay, because he gets to sit there and and talk to every childhood idol he's ever had. He gets to talk to every wrestler you can imagine. He gets to watch every wrestling show you can imagine. He gets to sit there writing about it, and then somebody pays him for it. He doesn't have to go, you know, work for any companies. He doesn't get sick of seeing, seeing the same people every day. He just gets to be a wrestling fan, write about wrestling for wrestling fans, and talk to people like me. I mean, it's a wonderful life that he leads. He also came to me with an amazing prize pack. I'm giving away a prize already. It's the third week of this podcast, and already, wait till you hear a sick, sick giveaway, a copy of the book, a copy of the new WWE video game. I'll talk about all that after the interview. First, this is Brian Shields. Take it away, Fink. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, the book is called 30 Years of WrestleMania. And with me is the author, uh, the man who knows everything, at least right now, because it, I don't think it's escaped your brain yet, about WrestleMania, Brian Shields. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Sam. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Well, I guess the first question is, what's the haps? Right now, the haps is 30 years of WrestleMania. Uh, the book is out now, and everything has been for over a year for me, almost a year and a half for me, has been about writing this book, working with WWE and DK. So now 30 years of WrestleMania is out. We're doing the promotional work for it now. And the book is, like, ridiculous. It's like the uh, it, it's the WWE encyclopedia style of book. So it's a massive book. It's hardcover. It's almost like a small textbook for WrestleMania. Are you still in that mode? Like, do you, is WrestleMania information just jammed into your brain, or have you been able to decompress? I think it always stays in there, you know, and you mentioned the WWE Encyclopedia. And Which you're, I mean, and you're a co-author of the first one. Both, yeah. Oh, both yeah, of them? Both. Oh, okay. All yeah, right. yeah. So um, this book, as you said, I mean, it's in that signature DK style. So it's a, you know, beautiful coffee table style hardcover, uh, four-color book, beautiful photos. And, I mean, the book has 30 years of WrestleMania has over 220 pages. Did you say four-color? Yeah. What does that mean? I, there's way, there's like every color in here. I don't well, understand. I, well, just because some books like it's black. Some books have black and white yeah. photos, and I mean this this is a beautiful you know full color book. Full color. Full color. Oh, I think you said four color. Yeah, I did it first. Oh. That was, um, but yeah. So there, I mean, it's way more the... than four colors. I see green, <laughs> pink, yellow, blue. Black, that's five right there. <laughs> right. So the, um, but yes, yeah, so 30 Years of WrestleMania is is in that signature DK style. Yeah. Um, now, when you're writing books like this, whether it's the WWE Encyclopedia or the 30 Years of WrestleMania book, you've been a wrestling fan forever, correct? Yeah. I, um, I grew up on Long Island, kid of the 80s. Yeah. So uh, cable TV, thankfully, was there 
in that part of the country very early on. So it was WWE and, and a lot of the other uh, regional promotion, territory promotions that we were able to see thanks to cable. Do you feel, at, at least at first, like you can just write these from memory? Is that where you start? Do you just start like writing? Well, I kind of know the story of WrestleMania. Let me just start writing from what I remember about them. Yeah, I always, as a writer, I'm, I'm big on the, the free write. Yeah. You know, I try to free write every day anyway. Um, so when it comes to something WWE or wrestling related, sports entertainment related, um, it's, it usually starts out with just, you know, kind of free, free writing based on memory. Do you catch yourself uh, emphasizing the parts that matter the most to you? Whether I don't know who, you, who, who was your favorite growing up? Growing up, I, I, I was a Hulkamaniac for sure. So do you find, and I guess Hogan's one of those guys that you can kind of emphasize without it you're just doing that because he's your favorite but like for me like i was a randy savage guy right so you'd have like i'd submit a thing that's like you know the five page write-up for wrestlemania three four pages are about the steamboat match and they're going no sam you can't well i i've done that yeah because i loved um i mean the whole 80s time for me as a fan i mean between the tag team division and between like the intercontinental title managers i mean that whole time period i think is phenomenal so like for me i was a huge british bulldogs fan Mm -hmm. you know so um you know and then later on like the mega power so there are there are definitely times especially those earlier days where you do have to remember there is a word count there there is they're not looking for a a seven page diatribe about mr fuji and right Right. and and, and fuji vice with him in the magnificent morocco i mean you know so um but yeah so for for this book for 30 years of wrestlemania there were definitely several points along the way for me where i i had to kind of do that and almost like you know check almost like check myself this is kind of a dream job in the sense that you you don't actually have to go to work for WWE every day because I would imagine I don't work for WWE, but I would imagine that working. I mean, when you work for any company, when you're doing something where you go in every day, eventually it's not a dream job anymore. There's nobody who, if you ask honestly, would say, no, I'm happy to get up and go to work at this place every day. Like whether it's Sirius XM, WWE, like right. these are dream jobs. Except to the people who are doing them. Um, but you've found this place where you can still just be a wrestling fan and yeah. write about wrestling and then get to talk to these guys that you've kind of grown up watching and then, you know, have now are now able to watch as an adult without taking that second step all the way in. You've got your fo- first foot firmly planted in this world that most people don't get to see. But you get to still be outside. Yeah, and it's actually something that I'm very grateful for. You know, I um, my career started out in the video game business. So what were you doing in video games? I started out in sports marketing. I mean, I've always been a writer, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I started out in sports marketing at Acclaim Entertainment in the late '90s. So for all you old school uh, video gamers. Acclaim Entertainment was the first company that had the WWE license. They did Mortal Kombat. They did NBA Jam. The they Simpsons. Made those, like, uh, the the Warzone video games for PlayStation, where it had the awful cut-ins of Ahmed Johnson yes. doing like a thirty-second promo that yeah. you had no clue what he was saying. Exactly, yes. and you couldn't. Um, I don't, if I remember right, you couldn't hit start and get right out of it. Like you had to sit <laughs> and be subjected to this. You to watch Ahmed <laughs> go right. Right. <laughs> Right. And you're like, what? <laughs> right. My favorite thing is that those have ended up on YouTube now. Oh, yeah. They're like YouTube classics. Yeah. yeah. So for me, um, you know, my, my relationship with WWE goes back to actually WWF Warzone and Attitude were the last. I was just starting out my marketing career when those games were coming out. So you're marketing video games for Acclaim. Acclaim has the WWE, WWF license. Right. And you start getting to work on those projects. Yes. I was, uh, at that point, marketing intern, marketing coordinator just out of school. So I was pulling... Where did you go to school? Adelphi University on uh, Long Island. And um, so what I was doing then was, you know, writing copy. Um, If you saw, like, screenshots on the back of a package or a promotional poster or, like, the gameplay footage on a commercial 
Um, and actually, it was really cool, too. Acclaim had their own motion capture studio. So when WWE would be at, like, the Meadowlands or the Garden or the Nassau Coliseum, um, they would be at our office, and we would be doing photo shoots, video shoots, um, voiceover sessions, all of those kinds of things. So for me, it was, you know, kind of what I thought at the time were running very important errands. Yeah, for the, you know, for the company, incredibly yeah. important. Um, but it was a great first step. Did you write the Ahmed Johnson promos? You know, I I, I submitted a draft for it, but it, <laughs> it wasn't good enough. Um, Ahmed was just like, "No, bro, I got this." Yeah, and then I just kind of ran out of there. <laughs> um, so yeah, so for me, I mean, working on these special projects, you know, dating back to the late '90s and and doing things with some other licensees, uh, such as Mattel or 2K or Tops. Um, it's, it's really something that I'm very grateful for. And I mean, because of that start in sports marketing, you know, I also worked with a lot of other like professional sports leagues and things like that. And I have to say as a writer, as a, as a partner, there's no other comp, there's no better company to work for. Uh, and with on a project than WWE. I Is mean, that right? Oh, and what, like you've worked with Major League Baseball, uh, Major NFL. League Baseball, uh, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL. Now, um, do you think that's because it's just the way WWE runs their business? Is it because uh, Major League Baseball and the NFL are kind of because uh, the teams kind of run as separate businesses, so they may not have as much control as WWE does over you know sort of every aspect of business. Do you think it's the lack of control that those other organizations have, or do you think it's just that WWE has chosen to run business that way? Well, I think, well, first and foremost, I think WWE, because it's an entertainment property, there's no off season. Right. So, I mean, and you tell, and you know, from the work that you do, when you speak with the talent, when you speak with people that work in the office or behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. they're going year round. I mean, it's 52 weeks a year of live television. It is an amazing thing to see because, like, I, I don't think, and I don't think Vince McMahon gets as much credit as he gets. I don't think he gets enough credit. I mean, I look at, I, and this is, you're either going to agree with me or think I'm out of my mind. But the more I think about it, the more I see similarities between somebody like Steve Jobs and Vince McMahon. But Vince McMahon doesn't kind of, because he's in the wrestling business, get Mm -hmm. that genius thing. Like Vince McMahon has taken something that was a carny business, that was something that you did locally, Mm -hmm. the biggest, at the Sportatorium in Dallas or wherever it was. But it was a a carny business. And he turned it into this new form of global entertainment. I mean, nobody has been able to come close and people have tried but nobody has been able to match that guy's brain since then yeah no and i absolutely agree with you i I actually think um it's a huge disservice that that vince mcmahon the mcmahon family and wwe does not get enough credit yeah for doing things in this way i mean if you go to any form of entertainment, whether it's arts and entertainment, uh, music business, uh, Broadway. We're here in New York City, so I have to mention Broadway. Uh, television, film, and you tell the the people that are working in front and behind the cameras that what they're going to be doing is now going to be for a publicly traded entity. Right. That And they have global responsibility, and there's no off-season. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, that he is working at this level. And he makes it so, and you're 100% right, because I've, I've talked to, as everybody knows, I've talked to, to, to everybody who's on camera, yeah. and, but I've got relationships with tons of people who work off camera, and it's like, this guy works at this level, right? and he doesn't, it, because of that, when you have a boss that works at that level, and is that passionate about the company and the product that you're putting out, you don't have the option as an employee to do it half-assed or to take an off-season or to whatever because it's not like the boss is just sitting in a comfy chair and making you do all the work. He's just expecting you to work as hard as he does. Absolutely. Unfortunately for you, he works at an impossible pace. Right. And and I think that that is something that's very different. I mean, you know, you're talking about someone, and we talk about it in the 30 Years of WrestleMania book. I mean, there have been times over the years where, um, where the, he has led by example, saying, "I will not ask anybody to do something I wouldn't do myself." I, and that's—I mean—that's the—I I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's the biggest part of WrestleMania history to me. I think that's the most important thing is that—and you go over at the beginning of the book, 
starts with kind of a synopsis of the picture of wrestling before WrestleMania 1. Yes. And a big deal about WrestleMania 1 is that it wasn't just a thing where if this didn't work, WWE was going out of business. It was the McMahon family was in a lot of trouble. As yeah, as personally, humans. as human beings, yes. Like all the workers could yes. say whatever they want, but mm-hmm. like they had other places to go. Vince and Linda and little kid Shane and Stephanie. If WrestleMania was a bust, we're all in trouble. Absolutely, and you know, and that's something else because one of my first interviews in WWE was so great. We talk about the support. Um, you know, WWE arranged all these interviews. I mean, I interviewed, I think, almost 100 people for the book over a year and a half period. One of my first interviews was actually uh, with Linda McMahon uh, at her downtown Stanford offices. Which is a big deal because since Linda's gone into politics, Linda doesn't do stuff like that. And and that was one of my first interviews. And I remember thinking, like, geez, I, I couldn't get like a, maybe like a, smaller interview to just as like a warm up like we're going right but that's like you're going right in yeah and one of the things she said to me and it's it's in it's in the book is you know she said in 1976 we filed for bankruptcy she said the the remaining you know 1970s and into the early to mid 80s you know we're rebuilding and by the way you can only file for bankruptcy in this country once right which means that Sort of par- and as uh, as horrible as it is to have to file for bankruptcy, mm. it's still a safety net, right? And it's not there anymore when WrestleMania gets launched, right? And the thing is, is is Vince McMahon has this idea like two months beforehand. <laughs> he he he's on vac- he's on vacation. So he- you, the idea for Wrestle you're saying the WrestleMania so WrestleMania one is in whatever April March April March nineteen eighty five. Yes. So you're saying what? Christmas time, New Year's time. Around, it's. I mean, it's amazing, and that's why I'm sitting with Linda McMahon. She's telling me the story. She, do, I mean, dude, I was speaking with her for almost two hours. Wow. She says to me, "We're on vacation. We come back from vacation." Vince says to me, "I have this idea for an <laughs> annual for an annual event," and he says, "He says, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, Hollywood has the Oscars, and you go. You know, NFL has a Super Bowl. Go down the line." And um, which and, is interesting too that even then. He wasn't. He was thinking sports entertainment. Right. He was thinking NFL. He was thinking Hollywood. Like he wasn't just thinking this is the Super Bowl of wrestling. He was thinking this is also the Oscars of right. wrestling. And and that's the thing where you know and and the cool part with with the book is that you get a sense of that. You know, the thirty years of WrestleMania. The first page is not well. The first page is a wonderful forward written by Shawn Michaels. It's a pretty good forward. Um, but the. You know, you're not getting, okay, the bell rang first match, Tito Santana versus the Executioner. You know, we give you some context. Right. It's not like just the uh, the <laughs> results of the night and here are some nice pictures. Right. And, you know, so when you hear from these people about what it took to get this off the ground, because as we've said, there's no off season. So it's not like WWE as an organization has shut down and everybody is now stopping what they're doing to now launch this event in two months. Right. They were running shows five nights a week all over the place while they're now coming up with this idea and, and creating this platform right. for this incredible show on a Sunday afternoon at Madison Square Garden. Now, when you're interviewing people, because like you said, you talk to Linda McMahon for like two hours. First of all, I would assume, because I've never done an interview for a book, I've only done interviews like this, where the expectation is... That people are going to hear it. Uh, I would assume. I, who knows? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the expectation is somebody somewhere is going to have enough interest to listen. Um, when you're interviewing for a book, mm. it seems like I, I'm sure it feels a little more candid because you're kind of just searching for quotes. How long do you have to talk to somebody like Linda McMahon before you don't feel like she's just giving you a company line? Does I have, that time ever come? I have to tell you. Everybody I spoke with from the second we were recording, it was like the real conversation that you and I are having right now. Were you prepared? Were you thinking, okay, the first 30 minutes or whatever will probably be company line, the same thing you hear on the DVD. I got to get past that and into something real because otherwise the thing's not going to matter. I was, for me, my biggest concern was getting through the questions on my part, mm-hmm. because, you know, and again, I mean, this is what you do 
right? I mean, for a living, I mean, you, you interview people. So you know that, you know, you have a base of where you want to go. Yeah. But you also don't want to be so tied to the questions where if someone says something. Right. You, you can't go with that now. You have to, you know, all right, we're going to stop that here. And now I'm just going to keep going with all these other questions. I mean, it was such an incredible conversation. And it's actually funny because I, I met her before WrestleMania 25. There was a, um, a little kind of reception before WrestleMania 25 in Houston um, for uh, the, 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 the first encyclopedia. And, I mean, she remembered meeting me. It was almost five years later. Wow. So, I mean, that gives you an idea, like, when people come and say, like, when you work with WWE, it's like you're part of, you know, the family, you're part of the team, and it really is like that. So I think right away, once I, I was so surprised at that. Yeah. And um, and I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that kind of set us off. And, I mean, the questions we were asking, because even, like, when she brought up the bankruptcy thing, I didn't ask her that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. Were that, you planning on asking her? No, I, I mean, because I just wanted to know, because I wanted to give everybody a real idea of the of the risk that was involved in getting this event off the ground. Yeah, and she, I mean, she could not have been more gracious with her time, generous with her time, and I mean, she couldn't have been more open because I was interviewing her all WrestleManias. I mean, it's not like it's not like oh, I'm, this is going to be two hours on on just this one. So, what do you have to do? Kind of have like a couple questions per WrestleMania. Well, what the way that I do it because I, I think it's one of those things where everyone does it differently. Yeah, and um, some people like to do it where some writers like to do it where I'm going to write the story and then plug in the quotes later. And also, but the thing is also with this book is it's not like a you're writing a novel or it's not like you're writing something that somebody just reads back to front. Like it's written in, like you said, DK style, encyclopedia style. So you have, you know, big pictures and story here and story here and story here. And it does all fit together, but you're looking for chunks of information to put right. in here. And so the way that I like to do it is I like to do as many interviews before and then have those that candor help form the story right that's how i like to do it but everybody does it differently and the nice part about the book also sam is that there are little segues mm-hmm. you know i mean it is chronological it's every wrestlemania 1 to 30 is in there the match results you're going to get write-ups on the matches behind the scenes interviews but there are s- snippets where there are some connections so it, it's not always as, okay, you turn that page and now there's nothing from the previous. Right. Like, you know, so there are some nice segues in there. So um, it is something that you can read as a story. Yes. I mean, but it is, it, it's not, like you said, like, it's not like this flowing novel. But That's, the same way, like for me, like I, I'm 30. I age with WrestleMania. I'll be 31 by the time WrestleMania 31 starts. Yeah. Um, the first, and I heard you another another interview you did. You said you remembered the very first WrestleMania. You were five. Yeah. The first, and I've been watching wrestling all my life. But the first storyline that I really remember mm-hmm. being conscious of there. Here is the story. Mm was the Hogan Slaughter story. So on yeah. some level, I remember WrestleMania 7, but the first WrestleMania that I really remember, remember as start to finish, this is an event I'm watching, was WrestleMania 8. And yeah. it's still been, to me, the most fascinating growing up and and now like watching it back on the network or whatever because like from start to finish, it was like the biggest clusterfuck WrestleMania <laughs> That I've ever seen in my life. Like, I couldn't believe what was going on. Like, you know, when you go through the history, because when I was a kid, I was eight. So yeah. whatever they are serving me, I'm going to eat because I like wrestling. Right. And if Hulk Hogan and Sid Justice don't like each other, that's the match I want to see. And I lived in New York. Right. I didn't know who Ric Flair was until right. he showed up on WWE TV. So this sort of Hogan-Flair match that... History has told us, like, years later, I look back and be like, well, yeah, that was, of course, supposed to, should have been the main event. I had no idea that that's what I should have been looking for. And so now I'm looking back, and I'm like, well, why isn't 
Hogan and Flair the main event, and I can't believe Papa Shango botched the ending, and right, the Warrior right, right, is right. late, yeah. and like and and Savage, and where's the big Miss Elizabeth poster that Ric Flair was talking about? Why, did, why, yeah, why didn't Legion of Doom have a match? Why did they just come out for an interview? <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Where were they? I didn't know who Paul Ellering was. Right, I'd never right. heard of this guy before. <laughs> but um, how do you how do you navigate? Going through something like that, like the story, I want to read a book just about WrestleMania eight and how yeah. everything just seemingly. Plus, it was a low time for business, which right. you don't realize as a kid. But how everything seemingly went wrong, even though it still looked so big. Well, yeah, and, it, and there, you're absolutely right that there was looking back on it historically, there was you were heading towards this transition. Yeah, and it was actually the first WrestleMania that was billed as like a double main event. Yeah, and the first time it was like, oh, so Hulk Hogan's not, not not the champion. Like, there's a double main event. Like, this is, and then they were like, this could be Hogan's last match, right? And you're going, why? Right, (laughs) and and, right, and I think the I think the thing is is that you know that event there was a lot going on, and with just within within the the company, and. That I mean that that WrestleMania is very interesting, and I asked a bunch of people why. Because I think if if you're a certain age, yeah, and you had cable television, or you were really a, a dedicated fan, and you read the magazines, the the Hogan Flair thing was a very big deal. So in the in the book, there are actually quotes from different people that I interviewed, um, and they they give their opinions on why they didn't think it happened but it's it's one of those things where i do feel it will be one of the great mysteries of sports entertainment because it's something that no one can seem to remember the details i asked hogan i got and i said there's two things when i interviewed hulk hogan it's like there's two things that i gotta ask this guy number one I, I want to find out what his opinion is on the whole Bret Hart thing. Did he run away from that match? Right. Why did that match never happen? And number two, the flair thing. And he kind of said, well, yeah, I don't know what happened with that. It wasn't my call. Yeah. And, that, like, and what? That, that's it? <laughs> right. And, and that's the thing. It's so interesting, especially the way that the industry is today with social media and, and behind-the-scene documentaries. Yeah. And, and a lot of the things. I think WWE's done a great job of, of just kind of um, – opening up as as an industry compared to what it used to be mm-hmm. and and that is one of the the great mysteries everybody i speak to everybody i've spoken to no one knows why this did not take place it's so weird though isn't it? it it's it's it really it's very weird because um as we talk about in the book there were matches that took place, and you can actually see them now. And this is not like a, a plug, but right. you can actually see them now on the WWE Network. There were there were uh, there was a live event loop, if you will, mm-hmm. in uh, during that time period of of Hogan Flair main events. I mean, they were written about. People have photos of them. You can watch the matches. So it's not like it didn't take place. And, and for the record. But as I said earlier, Macho Man was my favorite wrestler ever. Right. So as far so he as was I, amazing. as far as I was concerned, I didn't care about any Hogan Flair match. Macho Man just won the title. It was oh, the yeah. greatest WrestleMania of all well, time. And that was and that was a great. I, I mean, he he. I mean, you know, because I said that that uh, that I was a Hulkamaniac, but I loved so many other superstars during that time as well. Yeah. And and Macho Man was was one of them because. His athleticism in the ring, his ability for storytelling was unbelievable. He was one of those guys back then, Sam, where he could have great matches with opponents of any size. And the other thing that I was always so impressed with him by, and there there are a select few like this. Yeah. What he did as a good guy and a bad guy are almost identical. His in-ring style, but it's so, the promos, the the little things oh, that he did differently. Yeah. Like you all, you know immediately whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. But it's like it's that it's it's intangible. Yeah, you don't know why you know. Uh, and he was so he was so good. And then when you think back, like the Elizabeth era, yeah. When then you think back, sensational Sherry. I mean, what a duo they yeah. were together. Yeah. And sensational Sherry is actually one of my favorite managers of all time. 
And um, I hope that with, you know, the WWE Network and the great documentaries that are done, that some of the younger fans of today's generation get to learn about her because she was, I mean, uh, she was phenomenal. Not only did she make, because Macho Man Randy Savage was a, a, a baby face forever. So not only did, I think adding Sensational Sherry is what made Macho King so oh, villainous. Absolutely. But then... However many years later, she was able to do the same thing for Shawn Michaels. Oh. I mean, she created that whole sexy boy, obnoxious Shawn Michaels thing. The fact that that music that we're all so used to hearing, when when her shrill voice came through the PA, it was like, of course I'm going to hate this guy. Yeah, And, and and that was the jump off point. Yeah. It was like, you watch those matches. And and I know Shawn Michaels has talked about it in, in interviews. Um, I mean, what she was doing on the outside as a manager at that time, no one else was doing that, male or female. Mm-hmm. And and she could also she could also get it done on the microphone. Yeah, I mean, so it was a very very special time. Yeah, you go back to like the early episodes of Raw. Yeah. When she's like, you know, getting into altercations with Luna Vachon. Oh, yeah. And like the physicality between these two. Oh, yeah, unbelievable, knew? yeah. Who remembered? Unbelievable. Did you get to, uh, I, I, you know, and talking about all these guys here, you know, your Randy Savages, all these people, um, how great is it? Because did, when you were working for Acclaim, mm-hmm. did you work on the Legends of Wrestling video games? I did. Uh, that was, and that was a very interesting time. Um, so Acclaim had the WWE then F license. They lost that license. Yeah. And um, THQ at the time got the WWE license and um, EA Electronic Arts got the WCW license. So Acclaim then had, and this was actually a coup at the time, because if if my history is right, Take-Two Interactive originally had a deal in place with ECW. Acclaim came in, Acclaim got the ECW license. Uh, We were able to release two games, Mm -hmm. Hardcore Revolution and Anarchy Rules. um, ECW goes out of business. Right. So we were at a meeting, and I was was part of the group that had the idea, why don't we do a Legends of Wrestling game? We had Legends, we had Hardcore Legends in our ECW games. Yeah. And the idea was to bring that even further with with uh, a third ECW game but we never got there mm-hmm. so what we did was uh, we were working with talent that owned their own name and likeness and it was amazing at that time how many did cuz you had Hogan yeah. Warrior Legion of Doom yeah i mean t- tons of legit Terry Funk all these guys yeah. that that was a very special time and uh just for me as a fan and and just as someone who's working you know at the time um and it's funny because like what people say without Terry Funk there wouldn't be an ECW yeah and i feel that way when i look back on the legends of wrestling franchise because uh the funk both terry and dory funk junior were two of the first people that we that i signed and what they were doing was they were calling people putting in a good word gotcha so that when i called people had an idea of who this person was why they were calling and i will always and and it's great too because uh dory funk i interviewed him for the book so Dory Funk Jr. has a uh, has a quote in there for WrestleMania too. That's how you know this is a legit book. Dory Funk Jr. has never been interviewed for a WrestleMania book before. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, I mean, he has great family history in the business, as you know, and uh, he had that brief run in the mid '80s yeah. uh, with the WWE, and and his brother Terry, we all know, has had you know many runs uh, with the company in different capacities, but. You know, so so that Legends of Wrestling franchise was was a, a great time in my career as far as just getting to work on it. And I bring that up, too, because I think it's amazing that because now when anybody thinks of WWE, mm-hmm. they think of how much WWE owns wrestling now. Like they pretty much have the likenesses on lock mm-hmm. of every superstar that you would need. I can't think of any 
off the top of my head that they don't have. Um, and it's hard to imagine that there was a time when that wasn't where their focus was, when it was possible to get all these licensees and put them into another video game. For you as a writer, because hmm. not only did they not have the licenses at times, but there was a time in WWE where nobody talked about The Warrior. There was right. a time when nobody talked about Macho Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, when Hogan was in WCW, people didn't acknowledge Hogan, really. Right. Uh, how great is it for you? And I don't know if, as a writer, you've ever been involved in any of the times when you weren't allowed to talk about certain wrestlers. But how great is it for you as a writer to be doing especially this book, in the period when not only can you talk about everything and mm-hmm. everyone, but it's embraced and it's all owned and it's all proprietary and yeah. like you have access to literally everything. I have to tell you, um, and this is another one of the many ways that, that it is great as a writer to, to work with WWE and DK Publishing is my first book was in 2006, uh-huh. and that was main event in the raging 80s. It's like a 200-page paperback. Um, Whether it was that or the encyclopedias or this book or anything else that I've ever worked on, there's never been a time where I've been told, don't talk about this, don't talk about that, um, don't mention this person, don't – I mean, that's that's never been part of any meetings that I've ever been in. And um, the only thing that I'm told is make sure that it's accurate. Yeah, you know, historically accurate, and obviously, you know, I mean, this is we we want to educate and entertain, you know, the audience at the same time. So the quality of writing has to be good. Have you have you gotten into any fanboy altercations where they're saying, actually, you said in your book that blah blah blah, and the real truth is... uh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually funny because with the encyclopedias, I started doing free history of WWE events. Where I speak to, it's a multimedia presentation. Mm-hmm. So um, for a long time, I was this is actually very funny. So I was getting there would always be maybe one or two people during the Q and A, and you do them for free. What so you can sell books? I, I just, I mean, I I do them, uh, and then there's a book sale signing autograph. But you just like thing. talking about and, wrestling. Oh, I love it. That's any, the thing about wrestling. Any excuse, just, yeah. Any excuse. And my wife said to me once because I come out to like entrance music and <laughs> and all this stuff and part of that too is just so because pe- obviously at that point i'm embarrassing myself yeah it's just to let people know you know we're gonna have fun right. you know wwe's fun we're just gonna have a fun time today but there was a point where, where my wife said like i think you're starting to do these just for the entrance <laughs> just so you can come out and you know but but you gotta um, get that pop yeah, oh, you yeah. Get oh yeah so the um but it's funny for a while you know, people were coming to these events and they were asking, um, so this is a great book. I love the encyclopedia. And the person that would say it, would, there would always be this tone of voice. would be like, um, but how did you how did you leave out Sting? <laughs> and, but they, they would say it in this tone like it was like they were discovering something that no one else. Right. You know. So, you know, you just say politely that it's a it's a WWE encyclopedia. So. You know, you have you had to have had performed. Was that uh, it, what it was, or was it yeah. legally they didn't want they didn't no, have access? No, to... no. The the encyclopedias are are WWE his, Ency- historical okay. records. So unless you performed in the WWE at some point in time, um, you know, you're not going to have you're not going to have an entry. I mean, you may come up in someone's entry if you're relevant to a certain point in time, but. You know, you're not going to have that entry. Is uh, is Benoit in the book, or is he avoided? No, he. And that's another great point. Yeah, uh, what we were talking about. Um, he he's in both encyclopedias. Uh, I, I wrote the entry for for him, uh-huh. um, and he's he's part of this book as well. And you know, and and the the thought the thought process on that is is just like when you see um, the championship histories online or in any of the reference books you know um, to be historically accurate you know he's he's part of of these different you know different projects where they're they're historical records and I think it even it brings it more attention when it's not mentioned like right. well, like it's kind of a glaring omission makes you be like hey well you know and it's like well if we just put it in People will probably just go to the ne- read it, go to the next page, and it will be like that's it, right? And I, I think I think in general, uh, I think in general, WWE's done a, a great job with that. And here's why: 
this was a unspeakable human tragedy. Mm-hmm. There's no, you know, guidebook necessarily on what you should do, and this and that means it'll be perfect. You know, this was this was not a, a difference of opinion or a difference of a, of a business <laughs> situation. This was a terrible human tragedy, and I think I think WWE has has handled that as as great as as anybody could i mean you know he is um he he's part of the books where it's where it's appropriate so he's in the encyclopedias he's in uh this book 30 years of wrestlemania um you know like we talked about he's part of the championship histories so i i think that part of it's important i do think there's a i think there is a a small part of the audience that i think takes the idea that he should be in everything a little too far. And, yeah. and I, I think um, I think some of that energy is a little misguided. I understand if, if someone was your favorite performer or this and that, but I, I, think, um, I think there needs to be a, a bigger picture kind of view uh, when it comes to something like that. Yeah, I mean, my opinion on it is uh, acknowledge what he did, meaning if you're going to put out a home video, if you're going to put stuff on the network, like, He's there. He was at the shows. He won matches. He lost matches. Like, put them there. If you're going to do a WrestleMania book, acknowledge the WrestleMania moments that he was in. Right. But, like, but that's it. There's no reason for him to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no reason for him to be celebrated. You know what I mean? It's acknowledged. Like, yes, this happened historically. Right. That's it. And and what you the way that you just articulated that is is my exact opinion actually. Yeah. Yeah. And um so yeah, so that's all that's all in there. Did you get to interview the Undertaker? That's the That's the Holy Grail, the, isn't that, it? That that's the the Holy Grail and uh to answer your your question no. Yeah. Um but it Neither was Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> um it was actually something that um that we were were trying to schedule. And because, uh, you know, as, as you and, and almost anybody that follows this industry knows, he does not do a lot of interviews. Right. Um, you know, I think you can find him on the Triple H King of Kings DVD, the WWE 50 DVD. Um, and there may be like one or two others. And you can tell it's all the same interview. Right. And it's, yeah. it's very rare. He did a, a he did an interview up in Canada for that show off the record. Um, before WrestleMania 18, and I know he did a Jimmy Kimmel appearance as yes. American Badass Undertaker. Yes, yes. Um, but it's very rare, and um, and I have to say, it was something that everybody actually tried to make happen. That's cool um, that they did. And and even though he's not in the book, and I know that that'll disappoint some people. It disappointed me as a fan, but also as 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 the person writing the book. Um, but it it makes me feel good to know that everybody really did try because, you know, Sam, one of the things when people see these books, the, again, that DK style, these are beautiful books. There's a point where you have to stop. And this is hard for me as a writer to, you know, and sometimes you have to stop writing, you have to stop working on it. And in order for the book to be as beautiful as it is and, and as great as it is, like all the other WWE DK books, it needs time to be made. So, so for like WrestleMania 30. Well, I was going to say WrestleMania 30 is in the book, which yes. is mind blowing. Every match. Um, when you're watching, and so obviously when WrestleMania 30 is live, mm-hmm. you're right in the midst of writing this thing. I would assume most of the book is already written by the time WrestleMania 30 is on. Yes, but you're still WrestleMania minded, and you have an idea of where the book is going and everything. When you see. Uh, the Undertaker's streak get broken. When you see Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker, mm-hmm. th- what are you thinking? I was completely shocked. Yeah. I was completely shocked. Um, it was something, as a fan, I, I never wanted the streak to end as a fan. Um, as someone that gets to work with WWE on different projects, it was still something that I, I never wanted to see broken. Right. Um I was in complete shock, and I think you could tell if you watch WrestleMania 30 back, I think you can tell that the 70,000-plus at the Superdome and the announcers themselves, I mean, WWE has some of the greatest broadcasters entertainment has ever known, 
they were everyone was in well, shock. Not only was that whole place quiet, but I got to watch. I was in the uh, stadium, mm-hmm. but I got to watch the pay per view in a box where a lot of the friends and family. Oh, okay. uh, the wrestlers were. Okay. So a lot of the guys ended up coming up to the box after their matches, and it was after the Battle Royal and all this stuff. A lot of those right. guys came up. It was a giant you know, room to hang out with their family. And I was looking around the room, mm-hmm. and the wrestlers were just jaws on the floor yeah. looking at these monitors. I mean, some of them didn't, weren't even watching the show. Right. They were like, "What? you know, I'm, I'm over it, whatever. Jaws dropped. Oh yeah! When that moment happened, the the only time, and I, I was not alive for this, but uh, the only time that seems to be uh, comparable is from what I've been told when Bruno San Martino lost the W the the then WWF Heavyweight Championship in Madison Square Garden to Ivan Koloff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been described as the entire arena went silent. Yeah, and that was a hush, and I was actually to the point where they let Ivan leave. They let him leave the building before they announced that that he was the winner, and Bruno was still in the ring. <laughs> now that was not obviously at a WrestleMania, but just there's something special, I think, and it it speaks volumes about the competitor. Yeah, that when they've lost this match, that this capacity crowd is silent. And you know what? A similar thing happened at SummerSlam. It was in L.A. when Brock Lesnar beat John Cena. Brock Lesnar left the ring. Everybody in the Staples Center was still there. Nobody had left. Right. John Cena gets helped out of the ring. Nobody's left the arena. And Justin Roberts had to get on the mic and say, thanks for coming. It's yeah. over. The show's is it, over. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah. It's, I, in 2014, that there can still be moments like that that exist. And, and it's I incredible. Think, I agree with you. And I think it's one of those things, like, like you said earlier in our discussion, where WWE doesn't get enough credit. Yeah. I think for in terms of a, a, a live theatrical event, sports entertainment event, like you said, in 2014, for that to happen means and, means that the... The people that are performing in that ring are incredible storytellers. And you can say what you want about whoever in WWE being out of touch, but to be doing that for 30 years plus, to be running shows for 30 years and still be in touch with your audience enough that those moments are happening. 52 weeks a year. Yeah, it's incredible. It's yeah. incredible. So what were uh, some of the interviews that you enjoyed doing, or what were some of the interviews that you didn't expect you would get that you did? Linda McMahon aside. Um, you know, there were, so, there were so many, you know, when you get to speak to, when you get to speak to the, you know, the McMahon family, when you get to... Did you talk to Vince? I did. Wow. I did. Uh, it was, I mean, an, an incredible honor is an understatement. Yeah. Um, you know when you when you speak to the talent i mean you know i was given access backstage access at live events raws smackdowns so when you do this are you backstage and do you just grab one of the guys and say hey you know uh very Miz, respectfully you, have a <laughs> you do but it, but it's kind of up to you like all right we're going to let you backstage do well, what you got to do well thank i mean thankfully there you know th- there's a whole team that that helps support you know, getting projects like this done. Yeah. So, you know, thankfully, uh, Steve Panaleo, who who is the manager of the entire, you know, books division at WWE, um, Mark Carano, who's phenomenal in talent relations, you know, they're they're helping make they're making this possible for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you try and, and get people on certain days, you know, because that's the other thing too. You know, backstage is not like um the old stock footage of like a locker room somewhere and and that's it i mean there are so many things going on photo shoots video shoots interviews you know i mean now with with the um with the popularity of total divas i mean you have now like a tv a, show a, is an, happening a, another tv show is happening on top of what's going on right in the ring and outside the ring so um as far as the interviews i mean they were you know they were so great I mean, I mean, like I, I got to speak to Randy Orton almost an hour. Isn't he great? Awesome. And people don't realize that about Randy Orton. He's one of awesome. my favorite people I've interviewed. He he is. He was one of the nicest people that I met, and one of the best interviews I had. He and I mean, he could have talked 
you know, I mean, he was getting ready that night for a main event, yeah. so he wasn't able to. But, I mean, we could have just kept... And, I mean, his perspective must have been great because you were... He's, as a kid, was there to watch his dad... Oh, amazing. ...in the first WrestleMania, and then to go on a main event is... Uh, and and I, I don't want to ruin anything for anyone that hasn't bought the book yet, but, I mean, Randy talks about what it was like to work with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 21. <sighs> Which was again, like I could have talked to him for days just on that. Yeah, um, you know his uh, his money in the bank matches and his thoughts on what it was on on what kind of how dangerous money in the bank is as a match, mm-hmm. um, and that I mean that WrestleMania twenty nine six man was a great way to set off the show. Um, he talks about that also in his thoughts, and he's great too because he's a candid guy. Like he's a very honest dude. Oh yeah, like he just and he's been there long enough that he's not afraid to tell the truth, and he's not negative. No, he's not at he's all. He's not there to, to shit on stuff, but no. he's there. He's, he tells his his truth, his perspective. And, his... and and to your point, Sam, one of my favorite conversation, one of the favorite parts of my conversation with him um, was the match that that he had with Triple H, mm-hmm. where you know, and, and they talk about the crowd reaction, and you know, they, they weren't. It wasn't what they thought it would be. I mean, I, I want people to read it in the book, but I mean, to your point, you know, I mean, he couldn't have been more candid. Yeah. With me. Yeah. Um, and even you know the Hall of Famers. I mean, the legends in the Hall of Famers. Um, I mean, Bret Hart. We had like a four-part interview. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, a three-part so three-part interview. And Bret Hart has every story. Like, oh yeah. He's been there forever. He's seen every incarnation of the locker room. Oh yeah. Did you talk uh, to Austin? Uh, Austin, yeah, briefly. He's another but great one. Amazing. Yeah. And, and somebody and you know it was so funny because I mean I I first saw him on ESPN as part of World Class. Right. You know, so that was someone, you know, following his career um was phenomenal. Um you know, I think back to like uh Natalia and Alicia Fox the Divas. I mean, you know, everything going on with with them right now and the last like year or two. Right. I mean, it was great to get their thoughts. Um I'm trying to think of some others. Um, I mean, there are just so many. Uh, Kevin Nash. I did a two-part interview with Kevin Nash, who was also along those lines. Great interview, conversational, honest. So good. Ricky Steamboat. Oh, yeah. Um, Iron Sheik. Really? Was, you got some real information out of I, him? I got some real. I, you know, it's funny because I, I first met him. Not just talking about humbling the killer bees? You know, thankfully, we didn't go that route. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> um, but, you know, I, I go back to my Legends of Wrestling days with him. Yeah. So, you know, we've developed a rapport over the years. We had a great conversation about what it was like being in the company for WrestleMania, his thoughts on the on the ones he competed in. Um gee, Hillbilly Jim, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Howard Finkel. I ah. mean, I, I it got to the point one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Um I I I mean it got to a point where I thought I was stalking him. <laughs> and he he probably felt that way too. I mean, Mean Gene two-part interview with me and Gene. And that's another thing, like, to have access to all these guys now, because they're all under the same umbrella. It's just... Unbelievable. It's incredible. Well, listen, I want everybody to uh, check out the 30 Years of WrestleMania book. Um, and we got... How, do we have one to give away to somebody? We do. We do. We're, we're doing a, a special giveaway uh, just for Sam Roberts' audience members. Love it. Okay, so we'll have a book to give away, and you're going to throw in a DVD and all that? It's going to be a DVD. I'm going to sign the book. Oh, my God. Um, though there's been some debate on whether or not that actually brings the value of the book down. I don't <laughs> yeah. know that. It's writing on it. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this guy? Um, but, yeah, so there's going to be something very special uh, just for, for your audience, a 30 Years of WrestleMania uh, contest giveaway. Great. Well, we'll do that via email and, and all that, so you'll have the chance. And for those of you that don't win the book, buy it. You can get it on Amazon.com. It's called 30 Years of WrestleMania. Um, and you can get it everywhere, of course, I'm assuming. Wherever books are sold. Yeah, and I'll but, bet WWE Shop has a few. Uh, I would the, assume. I couple. Checked, but yeah. they, I, I heard they got a couple early. So yeah. I'm a little envious. I don't know how they swung that, but <laughs> they know somebody. Probably. Uh, well, listen, thank you, Brian. For thank you for here. having me, man. This is awesome. Thank you. Here is Sam Roberts. Brian Shields, such a fun wrestling fan to talk to. Now, I told you there was a prize pack. Here's what I want you to do. Brian Shields came to me and he said, Sam, I love the people that listen to your podcast. So here's what I want to do. I want to give, give from the bottom of my heart. One of your listeners a copy 
of 30 years of WrestleMania, the book. Okay, so you heard us talking about the book. I've got, from Brian Shields, a copy of the book. I've got a copy of WrestleMania 30 on DVD. And, and a copy of the brand new WWE 2K15 for either PlayStation 4 or Xbox One. That's right. None of these last generation stuff, new generation stuff, okay? So one person is going to get a copy of 30 Years of WrestleMania, the book by Brian Shields, WWE 2K15 for your choice, PS4 or Xbox One, and a copy of WrestleMania 30 on DVD. All you need to do is send me a question that you want me to answer on next week's State of Wrestling segment here on the podcast. If you can do that and hashtag... Sam Roberts has a wrestling podcast. I need a question for State of Wrestling and the hashtag Sam Roberts has a wrestling podcast. Do those two things. One person, I'm going to pick them within the next seven days, is going to get a copy of WWE 2K15 of 30 Years of WrestleMania, of WrestleMania 30 on DVD. It doesn't get much better than that. So without further ado, while all your people, while you peons are thinking about ways to get me to pay attention to your tweet, at NotSam, with the hashtag SamRobertsHasAWrestling Podcast. Uh, let's go straight to this week's State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Uh, yeah, think I already said that. Remember, tweet at NotSam with the hashtag SamRobertsHasAWrestling Podcast. And a question for next week's State of Wrestling and you could win that prize pack. I have a whole bunch of questions to address this week. Unfortunately, I don't have a ton of time because Brian Shields was such an entertaining guy to talk to. However, here's what I want to talk about. I thought Raw was good this week, especially being a taped show from London. Most of the time when they tape episodes of Raw uh, on time delay because they're in London, uh, the shows are not the best because the information ends up leaking on the Internet. I thought this week uh, was a great show. I think the Luke Harper, uh, Dolph Ziggler storyline is compelling. I think Dol- uh, uh, Ryback is becoming, once again, one of the most compelling characters on TV, which is amazing because I love Ryback. I mean, Seth Rollins is playing the, one of the best heels that we've had on TV in a long time, and, and we're all anxious for Randy Orton to come back. So all in all, I think WWE is in a really good place. Uh, I've had ECW on the mind because, of course, I subscribe to the WWE Network. I was talking last week about some of the stuff I think uh, they can do to even improve the service, but the service is a great service. It's ECW week on the WWE Network. They've added like 50 new ECW hardcore TV shows. They've added a bunch of the shows that were only available on home video. You remember if you were a real ECW fan, the ones that were in those plain white boxes that you had to order off the TV show? Cyber Slam, November to Remember 95, all that stuff is on there. Um, And, of course, I just watched the Joey Styles hosted, along with Paul Heyman, ECW Exposed special that they aired on the network right after Raw this week. And it really got me to thinking about ECW because ECW is one of those things where people either love it or the fact that people love it so much makes it so that there's a whole other group of people that love to point out the flaws, the inherent flaws that existed within ECW. Uh, For me, ECW was everything growing up. I was in high school. When ECW was on the air, I graduated high school in 2001, so kind of the peak of ECW. I mean, I remember sitting at home. It was on in my area, New York 55 on Friday nights, and then the same show would air late nights on Saturday on MSG. And I remember watching the show uh, in the very beginning of 1997, I think, when ECW announced that they were finally— Coming to pay-per-view. And, you know, you hear all these stories about Paul Heyman making wrestlers in the locker room drink the Kool-Aid and believe in this thing that maybe or maybe did not exist. What you don't understand is the fans drank that Kool-Aid more so than even any of the wrestlers on that roster. ECW was an absolute movement, and it was the type of movement that we haven't seen since. It wasn't Kool-Aid so much because we weren't getting fed BS. We were being given a product the likes of which we simply hadn't seen before. And it wasn't the blood and guts. I mean, that was part of it. 
because you could only see it there. But it wasn't the blood and guts, and it wasn't just the wrestling. It was the same thing that drives every TV show, every form of entertainment. It was the fact that they were putting on a show that you could not miss. I mean, that's the simple marketing behind any great promotion. Make it so the audience feels like if they miss this show, they're going to miss something. And that's how you felt every time ECW came on the air. They had an hour a week, but it felt independent. It felt uh, like you were getting the product. No, there were no corporate interests. There weren't even any commercials that weren't just commercials for ECW. The whole thing was there is nothing blocking the message that this product wants to deliver. And sometimes it was way over the top and stuff you never thought you would see on television. And sometimes it was just great wrestling. And sometimes it was fairly typical. You never knew what you were going to expect, but you always felt that if you missed a show, you were missing something. And it was, and once you started going to the live shows, it was like watching it on TV was not enough for you anymore. You had to go to the live shows because if you were just watching on TV and not going to the live shows, you were missing something. And in 1995, 1996, that really couldn't be said for episodes of WWE Raw and episodes of you know WCW Saturday Night. Episodes that were – ECW was really – the first place that was not filling a card full of squash matches, full of jobber matches, and then one sort of semi-mid-card main event at the end of the show, and that was it. They were just trying to sell live event tickets. ECW was putting on pay-per-view quality matches every single week and, and had a roster full of guys that appeared as though they were willing to kill themselves to make sure that the people were entertained. And, you know, uh, a lot of people say that ECW uh, had sort of built-in flaws, that it was a flawed system that we look back now with rose-colored glasses, but that ECW simply, no matter what, had they gotten a TV deal, they still would have gone out of business. Had they gotten, because they had TV, they had pay-per-view, they had action figures, they had video games, uh, they would have, people say that no matter what, because Paul Heyman has said, that the reason ECW went out of business is because they lost their TV, and once they lost their TV, that was their income. There are those that say ECW, by design, could not have succeeded long-term on a mainstream level. I don't think that that's necessarily a flaw. I don't even know if that's true. But even if it is true, I don't think it's necessarily a flaw. I think ECW's place in history is exactly what it was. It is... It was never meant, I don't think, it was never meant to take over any company. ECW as a promotion was never meant to be the number one promotion in the United States of America or anywhere in the world. ECW as a company, I believe, was put on this wrestling earth to revolutionize the form of entertainment that we know as wrestling to revolutionize sports entertainment, to to show what could really be done and to usher in wrestlers, wrestling fans, promoters, and the world into this new era. ECW was the first promotion to say, you know, no, times have changed. People are different. This is what people want to see now. And at first you brush them off and you say, yeah, but that's not wrestling. And then you go, wait a minute, but... But what if it is now? What if things have changed and now that's what wrestling is? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what ECW's place in history is. ECW is the Napster of professional wrestling. Napster, to me, is the most important thing to happen to music in the last 20, if not more, years. And Napster's not in business anymore. Napster never made any money. Any any money that Napster made, the guys who invented it had to give it back. But Napster wasn't built to make money. Napster was built to be the, the catalyst to revolutionize the music industry. Nobody's buying CDs anymore. Nobody's even buying DVDs anymore. It's all because of Napster. 
because people realized that maybe physical media was, was the past. And, and, and because of Napster, people had these MP3 collections. And that meant Apple had to come out with the iPod because people weren't carrying around Discman, Discmen, I should say, and CD binders anymore. They had all their music on their computer because of Napster. What if we can put it all on this iPod? Well, Napster, by a business design, couldn't survive, but you can't take the creativity. It just doesn't exist, I don't think. The creativity that it takes to design Napster, that mind cannot be coupled with a corporate entity. The, the, the conceptualization of the technology that moves us forward is not the same as the one who creates it into a business. iTunes took what Napster did and made it into a sustainable business. ECW was the Napster. ECW was that creative thing that changed everything in wrestling. And I mean everything to the point that we still, we still talk about ECW. And in the current WWE product, there are still examples of ECW. You think Dean Ambrose would be coming to the ring the way Dean Ambrose comes to the ring had it not been for ECW? Absolutely not. Do you think... Uh, WWE superstars would be coming to the ring via entrance music that sounds like it's something that could be heard on the radio. I understand it's not, you know, radio songs, but these are not, you know, this is not, I am a real American, I'm a sexy boy, you know, if you ever take a trip down to Cobb County, Georgia, those days are gone. Why? Because ECW was the first place to say, no, we're going to we're gonna use contemporary music to to create... The, the sound of our product. I mean, everything that ECW did was revolutionary and changed the business of wrestling. I do not... And it was that creativity that allowed WWE to spawn into this sustainable business that it is now. But without ECW... Without Paul Heyman and everybody around that group and and Tommy Dreamer and Bubba Ray Dudley and Todd Gordon and all the people that created that organization, without that creative fire that was just lit under everything in pro wrestling, you wouldn't have what we have now. It would be a completely different landscape. And that is the context in which we need to look at ECW, not in – Oh, well, I heard the guys weren't getting paid at the end of the run or, oh, I can't believe it went out of business or – Oh, Sandman was drunk all the time. All that stuff is inconsequential to the fact that very rarely in any industry does an organization or a business come around where it changes everything forever. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Napster did it to music, and ECW did it to wrestling. Go back. Look at the tapes. Go on the WWE Network, look at November to Remember 95, then look at Survivor Series 95. Watch Survivor Series this year and tell me that ECW didn't change everything forever. Tell me. You can't. Well, I appreciate you for listening. Again, we even ran a little over. I like to keep this thing to an hour because you, you don't need more than an hour of Sam Roberts talking wrestling a week. I want you wanting more. Um, but... Make sure you tweet, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff, at NotSam. Last week we had Chris Jericho on the podcast. The video of that interview is going up on my YouTube channel, which is also NotSam. Look, this isn't Grantland, okay? I don't have some fancy podcast studio. I had Chris Jericho in a closet studio with a GoPro. But still, video is video is video, okay? We're a guerrilla movement, is Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's just me, folks. It's me and my desk, and I'm trying to get some wrestlers and wrestling-related people to talk to me. And that's what the podcast is, okay? So go on my YouTube channel. Enjoy the Chris Jericho video. If you missed it, subscribe to the podcast. You should never miss anything. And if you want to win that prize pack I was talking about earlier, that's the copy of WWE 2K15 for Xbox One or PS4. That's uh, 30 Years of WrestleMania, the book and a copy of WrestleMania 30 on DVD, then make sure you tweet a question for next week's State of Wrestling section of this podcast. 
tweet at not Sam and include the hashtag Sam Roberts has a wrestling podcast. Do that. You could win. And I'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.